Amen. Uh, I kind of get it from those songs that the cross is everything. Amen. It's all about the cross of Jesus Christ. It's all about the sacrifice he made on the cross. It's all about Jesus. If you have your Bibles, uh, we've got a number of scriptures to look at this morning. We're going to begin with Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We're on our second lesson of a, a series that we've entitled, Seven Enemies of the Cross. Now, last week we began this study, and what I mean by this statement is, I believe there's seven things of this world that is fighting against the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. And what we're going to see as we go through this, it's not something physical that we can see. In other words, what we're battling is not something physical. It's not something that we can see. It's not something that we can touch. What we're battling against, folks, is an ideological and spiritual in nature. Now, here in uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse uh, 12, Paul said this to the church at Ephesus, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. In other words, it's not something we can see, it's not something we can feel, it's not something that we can touch that we're in a battle with. But against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts in wickedness in heavenly places. So what we're seeing is, you know, it's difficult to battle something that you're not able to see. Now, these seven adversaries or enemies of the cross, you know, they've been pretty stealth and gone unnoticed and unchallenged for many years. But over the years, what they have been doing is raising their nasty heads, and people have begun to see that we are in a battle. People have begun to see that there's something out there that is challenging the message of the cross of Jesus Christ, and this reason is to silence the message of the cross. Now, we must understand that enemies of the cross are enemies of God and His divine plan for redemption. God has a plan for redemption. But this enemy that we're battling, folks, is out to, to uh, silence that message of uh, the divine plan of redemption for mankind. Now, all seven of these enemies that we're going to look at are being used by the devil to confuse the lost and, and to sidetrack the saved. Now, as I explained last week, in war, you cannot gain victory over an enemy until that enemy is first identified. And you must know, you know, who you are fighting. Now, church, we are in a war. We have to understand that we are in a war and we have an enemy that's going to do everything it can to silence the message of the cross and defeat the, the message of Jesus Christ. Satan knows, I mean, let's just understand, Satan knows that he cannot defeat Christ. But he does know also that if he can, you know, defeat or silence the message of the cross, if he can put a muzzle upon the people of God, if he can silence the church from speaking out the truth of the Word of God, then he can defeat the cause of Christ. He'll never defeat Christ, but he can defeat the cause of Christ by silencing the church and keeping the people of God from speaking it out. Now, in this series, what I'm going to attempt to do is identify just who or what it is we are fighting. Now, the second enemy of the cross that we're going to look at today is the misconception of repentance. Now, what do I mean by that? Because society is trying to sell us 
on a falsehood about what repentance is all about. Many people think that they're good enough, or if they're good enough, or if they're religious enough, that God is going to smile down upon them, and by God smiling down upon them, that's going to be enough to get them into heaven. But the Bible is clear, there's only one way to heaven, and being good enough is not good enough. There's only one way to heaven, and one way, uh, one way is through true repentance, and true repentance can only come about by the blood of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made on Mount Calvary. If you remember, Jesus was teaching one day and he was talking about to the Pharisees here and he was telling them, you know, uh, being a good person is not repentance. Being a good person is not going to get you into heaven. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, Jesus said something that even today some people do not understand, but definitely the people of his day did not understand. He said this in Matthew 7, verse 21 through 23, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord. Now what did Jesus mean by that? Just because you acknowledge Jesus as Lord, just because you acknowledge Jesus as a, as a good person or a good teacher, he says, Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Now get what he says next. Many are going to say unto me that day. Now the day he was talking about is judgment day when they're standing before that great white throne judgment. They thought they was going to make the rapture, but they didn't. So he's saying, many's going to say unto me that day as they're standing before the great white throne judgment, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Now the word prophecy or the word prophesy simply means to proclaim Jesus. That's all the word prophesy means. You know, to proclaim Jesus. So just because a person goes around saying, yeah, I, you know, I know Jesus. Yeah, I go to church. Yeah, this, yes, yeah, that. He says, many are going to say unto me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not proclaimed your name? And in thy name cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works. What are they trying to say there? I was a good person. I helped my neighbor. I gave to the poor. I did this. I did that. I did this. Do you hear how many eyes are in there? He says, many are going to say unto me, Lord, Lord, have I not done many wonderful works? Now here's the sad part, because Jesus says next, and then will I profess unto them, you know, I never knew you. Now here's the sad words. Depart from me, you who work iniquity. Now, the, the word iniquity there is a, I like the word. Because what the word iniquity means, some people think that just simply means sin. The word iniquity is a particular sin. The word iniquity is the sin of I done it my way. Who was it? Frank Sinatra and Elvis Presley both sang a song, I did it my way. Listen to me. If you do it your way, you're going to hear these words one day, depart from me, I never knew you, you who did it your way. How sad that's going to be. You was in church every Sunday, you helped the poor, you did this, you did that. But you did it your way. In other words, you was deceived into a misconception about what repentance is all about. Look, it doesn't matter what the world may say. It doesn't matter what society may say. It doesn't matter what Oprah or Dr. Phil may have to say. But being a good person, that may help get a lot of people at your funeral, but it's not going to get you into heaven. Now, what's most important? Knowing there's a lot of people at your funeral which you're not going to know to begin with or knowing that when you close your eyes in death, you're going to be with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
You know, I could care less if there's one person at my funeral. I, I hope my wife makes it anyway, you know. Uh, but, you know, it doesn't really matter, does it? What matters, folks, is where we will spend eternity. Now, the ideological way of thinking, you know, is an enemy of the cross and the enemy of Jesus Christ is what the world wants us to believe. Look, if being a good person is not enough, what is the truth of the matter? You know, though being a good person is not repentance, I believe repentance will cause one to be a good person. Now, here's what I mean by that. You know, goodness is a byproduct, I believe, of true repentance. Now, you show me a person who at one time had a hard heart, okay? But now they have a good heart, and I'll show you a person that has experienced true repentance. Now, what does true repentance look like? Let's take a portrait of true repentance and see what true repentance looks like. Because again, this is one of the enemies of the cross. Society, you know, is selling us a, a wrong idea on what repentance is all about. So let's take a picture here. Look, because we're living in the last days, there's a battle for the souls of mankind, and Satan has escalated, you know, and he's pouring out all stops so that he can take as many people to hell with him as he can. And his deception of true repentance, I want to assure you, is front and center today. And with all the deception concerning repentance, let's look at a true portrait of just what repentance really looks like. And trust me, it's nothing like society is trying to sell us today. It's nothing like some churches are trying to sell us today. It's nothing like some religions are trying to sell us today. You know, in fact, I'll probably offend some people, you know, with what I have to say this morning, but that's okay. If you don't get offended at me, you're going to get offended at something or somebody if you're a person who gets offended easy. But I'm just going to show you what the Bible has to say. And if you get offended, get offended with God, okay? Because it's His Word. Now, Jesus said in Mark uh, chapter 1 here, verse 15, I think we got it on the screen for you, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, here's what Jesus said. Because the time is fulfilled, because the kingdom of God is right around the corner, he says, repent and believe the gospel. Okay? Repent and believe the gospel. Let's dig into this. In this passage, Jesus tells us two things that must take place in our life if we're to truly be saved, if we're to truly experience salvation. The first is to repent. Now you say, well, what, 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 what is that? You know, the, you know, what is repent? It, but in order to be in right standing with God, he says, this is what you must do. Now to repent simply means to change your mind or to change direction. Whatever direction you're headed, if it's headed for hell, you've got to change direction. You've got to change your way of thinking. You've got to change your mindset. That's what repentance is all about. You see, th this action, you know, is applied in two different ways. First of all, a change of your mind from sin to Christ. Think about that. A change of your mind from sin to Christ. When I truly repent, I come to the point that I realize in my life that my view of sin, okay, that my view of sin is actually leading me away from God and away from right standing with Him. You see, most people don't realize that today. They don't realize the sin that they're involved in is leading them away from Christ, 
leading them away from God. They don't realize the view that they have of sin today. I mean, I, I, I guess I'm, I, I, I guess I'm just weird. Okay, I guess I'm just weird. Don't nobody amen that, please. But here's the th- here's the thing. Just because society has said it's okay, doesn't make it okay. You quit laughing, okay? She's my little friend. But uh, anyway, uh, you know I'm weird, don't you? You've known me for a long time. But look, just because society says something is okay, doesn't make it okay. Therefore, there's so many people nowadays that their view of sin they don't even realize it's leading them away from God. Why? Because society has said it's okay. Listen, I don't care what society says. If the Bible says it's a sin, what is it? I sin. Now, here, here's what we need to realize. That my view of sin is leading me away from God and leading me from right standing with Him. So I come to the point in my life that I, I have to be ready to change my mind about sin and to change my mind about God and all that He has done in showing His love for me by sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross. And once I act upon that change of mind concerning sin, and I or transfer my view of sin from my mind to my heart, then that's when repentance takes place. When I get to the point in my life that I realize, you know, that, that this is a sin against God. And it's drawing me away from Him. Now, repentance simply means to change your mind with a desire for Jesus to do something about it. That's what repentance is. True repentance involves both a turning from sin, but turning to God. Look, what part does repentance play in salvation? It is the most important part. It is the part. You see, unless repentance takes place... You know, it, 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 it will not be possible to carry out the second thing that Jesus taught there in Mark chapter 1, which is to believe the gospel. You see, you can't really believe the gospel unless you've truly repented. Now, when we repent of what makes us lost, and what is it that makes us lost? Sin. You know, sin and our unbelief in the gospel, we must repent of our unbelief, and start believing what the Word of God says. Stop listening to society. Stop listening to society saying, you know, this is okay and this is okay. After all, everybody's doing it. Look, the word believe in the the Greek simply means you trust in, you rely on, and you depend upon. The definition in vines of the word believe says this, to believe, also to be persuaded of, to place confidence in, to trust, reliance upon, not mere credence. That's what the word believes means in, in vines. Now, looking at this definition, the word believe, you know, what it, what it is, we must be, what is it we must be persuaded of, place confidence in, or rely upon? The gospel of Christ, folks. That's what we have to rely on. That's what we have to believe in. The gospel of Christ. Look, the heart of the gospel involves seven fundamental truths that we must believe in order to be a Christian. Don't miss nothing. If you've missed everything else on this message, don't miss this. And then after this, you can miss everything else, okay? But there's seven things, there's seven truths that I believe we must believe in. Seven fundamental truths that we must believe in in order to truly be a Christian. Not one of those who's going to hear one day, depart from me, I never knew you. Now, I'm about to make a bold statement 
That's not going to be popular in today's standards what it means to be a Christian. Now, if again, if I offend some, so be it. Take it up with God because I'm getting this straight out of his word. You know, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, these seven things is what's referred to as the doctrine of Christ. Now, don't miss this. The doctrine of Christ. And one must experience, one must believe in the doctrine of Christ if true repentance truly happens within their life. Now, again, we're talking here today about society and how it's perverted true repentance and how any doctrine that leaves out repentance, I want to tell you, is an enemy of the cross. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 John chapter 7. 2 John chapter 7. I mean, not chapter 7, but 2 John verse 7 through 11. Because I don't want to show you the doctrine of Christ. And if any individual, if any religion, if any denomination does not hold to the doctrine of Christ, it is not a true religion, it is not a true doctrine, it is an enemy of the cross. 2 John verse 7 through 11. Here's what the Word of God says. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Christ is come in the flesh. Now what are these people called that don't believe that Jesus Christ came in the flesh? Deceivers. Don't miss that. Okay? This is a deceiver and an antichrist. So not only are they a deceiver if they don't believe that Jesus came in the flesh, they're also an antichrist. Verse 8, look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ. Now, if you've got a different translation, it may not use the doctrine of Christ, but the King James does. So pay attention to that. For whosoever abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. Don't miss that. If you do not believe in the doctrine of Christ, you don't have God. Okay? He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ hath both the Father and the Son. Verse 10. Look at this. A pretty bold statement by Jesus. That's why I can make the same statement. Okay? If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine. What's this doctrine making reference to? The doctrine of Christ. If any come and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed. For he that biddeth him God's speed is a partaker of his evil deeds. You mean if I befriend a person who don't believe in the doctrine of Christ, if I bring that person into my house and associate with them and do the things they do, that I'm just as bad as them? I think that's what the Bible says. Okay? Now, Christians may disagree on many doctrines. Okay? I mean, we may disagree on such things as tongues. We may disagree on, you know, how many spiritual gifts there actually are. We may disagree on a pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib rapture of the church and still fellowship with one another because none of them are the doctrine of Christ. So we can have some disagreements in some doctrines, but that doesn't draw a line of fellowship with us. What draws a line of fellowship with someone is the doctrine of Christ and rather these seven truths that I believe make up the doctrine of Christ, you know, is uh, evident within their life. Now, 
What are those? Here are the seven gospel truths that I feel make up the doctrine of Christ. And if a person, if a group, if a religion denies one or all of these seven, we're not to associate ourselves with them. We must believe, first of all, okay, that Christ came in the flesh. That's a doctrine of Christ. If you don't believe that Christ came in the flesh, you know, you might as well just drop it there. The second thing is we must believe in the virgin birth. If you don't believe in the virgin birth, you don't believe in the doctrine of Christ. The third thing is we must believe that Jesus Christ was sinless while he was here on this earth. The fourth thing that we must believe is that, uh, you know, uh, Christ died a sacrificial death, a blood atoning death, on the cross for our sins. The next thing we must believe is Christ was bodily resurrected from the dead on the third day. If you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, forget it. Okay? The next thing is we must believe that Jesus ascended to heaven. And we must believe that Jesus Christ is going to come to this earth. He's returning to this earth. First of all, to rapture His church. But second of all, to be King of kings and Lord of lords. These, I believe, are seven things that make up the doctrine of Christ. And if a person does not believe these things, the person does not believe in the doctrine of Christ. Now, I know I can hear some now saying, Pastor, are you saying if a person does not buy into all seven of these things that you just listed, they're not a Christian? Are you saying that if a certain religion or if a, uh, does not believe in all seven of these things that you've just listed, they're not a true religion, and everyone who is following that religion is going to hell? Is that what you're saying, Pastor? No, I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm simply telling you what the Bible says here in Second John, okay? That anyone who does not believe in the doctrine of Christ does not know God, and anyone who does not know God is going to hell. So, am I saying that? No, the Bible is saying that. The Bible is saying that. That's what John says. We must believe in the doctrine of Christ. And anyone who does not believe in the doctrine of Christ is a deceiver and an antichrist. Where are deceivers going to end up? In hell. Where are antichrists going to end up? In hell. That's what the scripture is teaching us here. Anyone, you know, who does not believe in the doctrine of Christ, you know, is a, is a deceiver and an antichrist. Again, look at verse 7. Anyone who teaches the doctrine other than the doctrine of Christ is a deceiver and an antichrist. Verse 10, if there come any to you not bringing this doctrine, receive him not. Why? Because he is an antichrist, because he is a deceiver. You see, the people of the early church, folks, they took serious the doctrine of Christ, yet it seems like today, for the church today, for the people of God today, you know, we, uh, we feel like, well, we got to get along, <laughs> I mean, we, we, we just got to get along, you know, by believing things like the doctrine of Christ. Aren't we kind of setting ourselves above other religions? Aren't we kind of setting ourselves up above others? Pastor, in order to get along, we, we got to accept their view. In today's society, we feel like in order to be politically correct, we've got to accept the views of others. Folks, when we have that attitude... We have bought in to the deception and the lie 
of Satan. We have bought into the deception and the lie that everyone can just worship whatever God they choose in whatever way they choose. And who are we to judge? Who are we to judge? After all, you know, aren't we all going to end up at the same place? <laughs> no. For those who believe not the doctrine of Christ, John says, they're a deceiver. They're an antichrist. And their eternal home is going to be hell, a place prepared for the devil and his angels. You know, we are not to judge, but we're to stand firm on the word of God, folks. We're not to judge. I'm not saying we should judge no one. I'm just standing firm on what John said. You say we have to stand firm on the word of God. We're to speak boldly on what we believe. And, and we're not to water down the truths of our Lord, you know, as to not hurt the feelings of those who do not necessarily believe the way we believe. We've got to stand firm on what... The early church stood firm on what they believed, folks. And today we have kind of, in order to get along, in order to be politically correct, we, we kind of watered things down. Look, I want to suggest to you that one reason we're in the shape we're in as a nation today is because the Christian community has been silent on biblical issues all because society sees biblical issues as political issues and the church is not supposed to be involved in politics. That's another hogwash. The biblical views are biblical views. If they cross over into political views, so be it. So be it. We have to stand firm. But we've been too silent too long. We've not been salt and light to this nation that has decayed to the point that we're no better off than Sodom and Gomorrah. Look, there would be no debate over same-sex marriage if this church was speaking out on truth. There would not be 4,000 babies a day murdered by the hands of abortionists if the church was speaking out on truth. You see, they say that's political issues. No, 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 no. That's biblical issues. Look, we would not have corrupt politicians in government if the church was speaking up and holding these that we elect to biblical standards. Our Lord said this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So we had better repent and we better begin to believe the gospel, not society but what the gospel of Jesus Christ says. Church, it's high time the people of God return to holding fast the doctrine of Christ and standing against false doctrines of the deceivers and the antichrist of this world. We have to stand firm. Folks, that's why we're at where we're at as a nation today. That's why those my age and older, you know, look around and say, what in the world has happened to our country? Listen to me, my kids... I'm talking about from litter too, okay? My kids will never know the United States I grew up in. They will never know it. Some of you out there this morning will never know the United States of America that I grew up in. And you know where I point my finger? Not at Washington, not at Congress. I point my finger at the church, the church of Jesus Christ. Because for the sake of getting along, we've kept our mouths shut way too long.
and look what it's gotten us. I mean, I, I, I fear for my, my kids, okay? Especially Evie, five years old, you know, and Katie, 11 years old. You know, what, what's it going to be when they are in their 20s? What, what's America going to Look at I'm no prophet, okay? But can I tell you something? By the time they get in their 20s, I don't know that we're going to be able to freely assemble together to worship our Lord. We've got an administration in Washington, D.C. now, folks, that don't want that. And so far, the only thing keeping them from stopping that is the Constitution, which they don't believe in anyway. Church, it's time to speak up. It's time to stand boldly on what the Word of God has to say, to stand boldly on the doctrine of Jesus Christ. Look, since sin and unbelief is what makes us lost, sin and unbelief is what we need to repent of. And, and when we get our belief system right, right living is going to follow. And if we lose our theology, the chances are we're going to lose in our living. And that's exactly what's happened to the modern church of Jesus Christ. I think there needs to be, be some repentance taking places in our churches also. I'm talking about among God's people, those who are truly saved. Look, re repentance is not what we give up. Repentance is what we take in, namely Jesus Christ. And after we take in Jesus, he's going to clean up our life. When we get serious with Jesus, he will clean up our life. Listen, the idea is, uh, the idea of I have to clean up my life before God accepts me, that's hogwash. We don't have to clean. In fact, we can't clean up our act enough for God to accept us. Look, it's time the Christian community once again be the salt and light that Jesus mandated us to believe. But I believe one problem is there's too much carnality within the church. Too much carnality within the church. Now, let me tell you what an immature believer is, Okay. An immature believer is a believer who's been saved three years, two years. And they act like a two or three-year-old believer. That's an immature believer. But on the other hand, on the other hand, a carnal Christian, a carnal believer, is a believer who's been saved 30 or 40 years. And they're acting like a two or three-year-old believer. That's a carnal believer. Look, I believe some of us who dare call ourselves Christians, I believe we owe God an apology for the lifestyle we've been living. We've repented of our sin, of unbelief. We've invited Jesus into our heart, but we have not allowed him to clean up our life. We need to do more than just repent of our unbelief, folks. We need to start Believing the gospel. We need to tr start trusting the gospel. We need to start relying on the gospel and depending on the gospel as our source of salvation, growth, and strength. You see, real repentance is a change of mind about sin with a desire for Jesus to do something about it within our life. Two things as we close here. First of all, if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, you've never repented and believed the gospel. 
You don't need to leave out of this place this morning before you do that. Because again, what did Jesus say? Time is short. The kingdom of heaven's right at hand. So repent and believe the gospel. In a moment, we're going to have a song of invitation. If you've never received Christ as your personal Savior, when we stand for that song, I'm going to ask that you come. Let us, let us show you the doctrine of Christ. Let us show you what it means to accept Jesus as your personal Savior. But for the second thing is, if you're a child of God already and you're not allowing him to clean up your life the way that you know he wants to clean up your life, that some things of society means more to you than the word of God, Maybe you need to be down here repenting this morning and asking God to give you the strength to be all he wants you to be. Let's pray.